I want to just give you an update. Uh, as some of you that are on Facebook, I know the others that aren't, it's nice to get these updates at the service because you don't see the things I post. But um, so yesterday at 3 o'clock, we closed on the, the bank loan. Yes, amen. And that was exciting. Maybe one day I'll get to share with you something that I, I don't feel uh, released to share with you tonight. But I'll tell you, I, got a, I was in a personal battle, a uh, spiritual battle, I believed, and um, uh, some heaviness I'd been dealing with for some while. And I got a call just before I got there to sign the papers that, uh, that um, released me of that, basically released me of that struggle. And uh, it was a very freeing moment. And Jen and I ended up showing up in tears uh, at, the, at the closing. And so uh, I will tell you that there is a spiritual battle in this. I'm not saying it's over. I'm just saying that God has shown me along the way that as we push forward, God's going to give us victory. And so um, I'm, I'm feeling lighter tonight. I'm feeling uh, refreshed. But <clears throat> we, uh, we're supposed to have the heavy equipment parked on the land by this afternoon because the bank had to get a picture. And I'm guessing weather and maybe they got a delay. It's not out there yet. But I met with Carol Electric. Everything's moving quickly now. So uh, pretty soon, as soon as the ground dries out enough that they can push dirt, you'll start to see that turn into a construction site. And so we're right there. And we hope to be able to move into the new building at Christmas time or just before. So that's, that's the goal. Uh, I will tell you things can happen and that could go longer. But the goal would be Christmas time to move into the new facility. So amen. So be faithful. I, you know, this is something... You know, I preach on, but you don't hear me just regularly say off the cuff. But I'm going to tell you, God wants us to be faithful in giving. Um, he has given us an opportunity to expand our borders for ministry, and it takes resources. And so be mindful of that as you're praying, that be obedient to the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm never going to, nor any minister should tell you what you're supposed to give other than the tithe. But beyond that, you need to hear the Holy Spirit uh, speaking to you on that. But we do need everyone being obedient to the Holy Spirit at this time. Uh, we do have a capital campaign that I'm going to be launching, and uh, you'll hear more about that as we come and, and how we're going to attack this, this uh, mountain of uh, expense for this um, and how God's going to help us to, to accomplish that. Um, also, uh, I want to tell you how, uh, Trey, how Trey's doing. Uh, I stayed with him overnight Monday night at the rehab center, and, and uh, he's having moments of discouragement, but God's been picking and lifting him up, and we've and having good conversations and sharing God's word. And so um, he's excited about being here. Some of you don't know, he would have already been coming to church, uh, but he fell and broke his hip, his femur, and his shoulder trying to sit down his wheelchair. This is a young man, one year older than me, um, used to race cars, you know, very active uh, guy. And, and so this is a tough time for him. So keep him in prayer. They also, uh, you know, his wife Megan works at the rehab center. They have those twin boys uh, ladies, if you're still able to do some meals that you could prepare and they could freeze or whatever, see Jen. She um, uh, and she may need to hand that off to someone else to to manage that. But uh, see my wife, and uh, we can uh, try to bless them in that way. All right. Well, tonight there's some very it's a very somber message, and so I need to test your skills to see how somber you can be, how how serious you can take this. All right. So I'm about to say something, and I need no one to smile. To show any kind of joy, nothing, okay? Let's just see how serious you can be, all right? So I'm getting ready to say something, so get your poker face on. Nobody plays poker, right? But get your poker face on. Okay, Frankie, you're doing good. You're doing good. I feel it staring right through me. Okay, come on. So when you're still smiling, you got to get in the zone. Get in the zone. Okay, I'm getting ready to say something, and you need to, Bill, this is going to be trying for you. Ready? See? Come on, come on. Okay, we're going to take a breath. In through the nose, out through the mouth. Ready? Okay, here it goes. 
what do you call it when a cow jumps a barbed wire fence? Utter destruction. Okay, you fail. All right, we're going to go on. For, for, for some of you tonight, you don't know that I'm really bad at telling jokes, but I insist on telling them from time to time. So it's just, listen, the Lord didn't answer my prayer about being a stand-up comedian, so this is my one little thing he allows me, I think. I'll find out when I go to heaven. Um, all right. Well, Saturday, this Saturday is an outreach that we're going to go out in the communities with our Spanish-speaking people in their their service. We're going to meet with us. We're going to pair up and go out in teams. And over this next year, we're going to canvas every neighborhood that we possibly can in Centerton and go door-to-door to to pray with people, get to know them, invite them to church, uh, whatever needs that they may have to to begin to to meet people. Um, When I was first approached with this by uh, the evangelist that spoke recently, Jared Horton, my first thought is, they're going to think we're Jehovah's Witness. And second was, that doesn't work anymore. Not in the Bible Belt. And so any kind of reservations you may have, believe me, I had it first. But the Lord, as as the Lord began to work on on me on this, I thought, you know, really, if we aren't going to do something like that, then what are we going to do to reach people in this community? We can't sit around thinking that people are just going to walk through the doors. Please, tell me about Jesus. The generations that are coming up, this is not a new topic to them about uh, about the, some of them may have never heard, but at least they know of uh, of the the Christianity, and and some of them have very jaded views of it. In the uh, church organization, the Church of God, there is a theme for one of their national youth ministry leadership newsletters that went that went out that was called "Out of the Box," and this included a, a particular uh, focus on several stories about some youth ministries that did some things that are very different. They attempted to reach out their communities uh, by breaking out of the box, basically using that term in reference to our church building, being a box, and getting out and reaching people outside of their, the norm. And there's one in particular that stood out of the South uh, Meridian Church of God in Anderson, Indiana. Uh, pastor Mark Krentz was the youth pastor. And he wrote, last fall, this is what he writes, last fall, to help our students think out of the box, we put them in a box. A cardboard box, to be exact. On Saturday, now parents, this is not, you have to listen to the whole thing. Don't shut me out and think this is how I take care of my parenting needs, is get a big box. All right, so on Saturday evening in November, when the temps dipped down below freezing, our kids wearing donated coats huddled around a barrel of fi- uh, uh, fires in a barrel uh, and prepared, prepared to spend the night out in the cold as homeless, to, to get an idea of the homeless. They also brought in some who were homeless to talk to them about their experience. And it was really a lockout. They were just outside the church, but they were not allowed to go in in the warmth. And while shivering, they also heard from that panel of, of local homeless folks from the local shelter. And during the night, church members dropped by to offer an occasional blanket or a cup of hot chocolate, and acted as those who would go out and minister to the homeless. When dawn finally broke, they entered the sanctuary for Sunday morning worship, smelly, cold, tired, and tattered. The elderly church members were quite surprised by their appearance with just one, one night out in the cold. But it changed everything about their ministry. It gave them, it put them in the shoes of those who were less fortunate, the least of these, those who who get forgotten. 
who, who are part of the sot. Remember the sot, or you know, we use words like unbelievers or unsaved. But really we should call them the sot because God is always seeking to save the lost. So it gave them this, this um, idea of what they went through. And Ken's, uh, Krenz, Pastor Krenz went on to say, the effect on those we minister to and the effect on our youth has been tremendous. And if you expect our numbers to be down on those nights when they do that again, guess again because their numbers in the church increased as people became, became uh, more on fire in their commitment and also those who were saved. When it comes to community ministry, we finally put our program where our mouth is. Part of our frustration, if you feel in your walk with God that you feel a little lost or disoriented, or like you're not sure exactly what you're supposed to be doing, many times it's because we don't put our, our resources, our time, our, our money, our heart, where our mouth is. When we profess to be a Christian, we literally put ourselves in the spot of we have to be Christ-like. We have to do what Christ did. And not a have to, we should want to because of what he did for us. So what is outreach and why is it so important? What is the purpose of outreach? Well, I'll answer these questions, but, but uh, for now, I want before we examine uh, these, I want to look at several Bible passages related to outreach. Uh, there's, a co- there's an exercise I also want us to do, and I want us to answer a question in a unique way. And this question is, what are barriers to outreach? And when I use the word outreach, I'm talking about getting outside of our four walls, getting outside of our four walls and bringing the message of the gospel and how it impacted our lives, our testimony, in other words, um, to those who have not heard yet. And basically, anyone you've not told your testimony to, those are the ones that haven't heard. Oh, well, pastor, I, I think that they may go to this church over here or there doesn't mean they've heard the gospel message yet. We don't proselytize. We don't try to pull somebody from another church. But, but you can't assume because we're in the Bible Belt, everyone has a church. Everyone's heard the message. So what I want to do is I want to take a moment, any brave souls that want to get up, and I want you to put what you think, uh, maybe your own personal experience, or what you believe are barriers to outreach. Anyone want to take a, take a shot at it? Fear. Anyone else? All right, Janae. I'm dressed a little warm. If anybody feel, everybody feel comfortable, you too, too warm, too cold? No. Okay. All right. Lots of participation. That's good. Kind of goes back to what I was saying in the last service. You have to sometimes put yourself in the place where you're going to look foolish if God doesn't show up or move on people's hearts. This is one of those. If nobody got up here to ride, I'd look kind of foolish, huh? Okay. Anyone else? Lack of knowledge, time, fear, selfishness, dollar signs, money, greenbacks. Anyone else? 
Nathan, I see it on your face. You've got something. No? Come on, Nathan. Here, let's ditch that one. I think that was the one. All right. All right. Save. Self image. That's good. Anyone else? Could just make it interesting. I just call your name and you have to think of something before you get to the board. What else? No? All right. I tell you what. I'm going to set these up here. You won't distract me. I'm going to move on in a little bit in the message, but if you think of one, you can come up and you can put it up there. All right. So so why, while our, our volunteers were, while the volunteers in our church are, are working so hard to reach those that come in, to the doors, our children's ministry, our young adults ministry, our youth ministry. While we have all these great efforts and people who are giving of their time and resources in the building, there is so many who will never probably walk through the doors of the church until someone shares with them their personal journey with Christ, their personal experience. How do we overcome these barriers in our lives? How do we overcome those barriers to outreach? First of all, we have to admit that they are present in our lives and ask God for help. A large part of the problem, it seems pretty elementary. Okay, Pastor CJ, that's, that's pretty elementary. I mean, if I've got these, I just need to ask God for help. But a lot of times, we don't want to ask him because we're fearful of it taking our time or not having a lack of knowledge or the judgment of others, maybe our self-image. Often I hear, well, that's really not my... Um, that's really not my uh, gifting you know when we say uh, outreach or, or reaching the lost is not our gifting we're we're really taking something a lesson from the bible about the different gifts and we're confusing it because really we get into a command we're to go and make disciples if you're a believer it's not a matter of whether you have the gift to reach the lost it's a commandment so how do we overcome these barriers in our lives well first of all we have to admit that they're present in our lives ask god for help Second, we have to be willing to do something about it. And then we also have to ask God to help us do something about it. And then third, we have to begin brainstorming solutions. Now, when I say brainstorming, this is not self-help and this is not us just coming up with ideas. But when we ask God for help, we have to be willing to listen and let him put the ideas in our hearts and minds. We have to, to learn to listen to his voice and, and obey you know, when actually the same first Friday that I was out there with you, uh, Mick and uh, Mackenzie, I met y'all. Um, I ran into some young, uh, young people, I think from a church uh, clear by the edge of Missouri. They're out there were handing out tracts and sharing with people about the gospel message. And the young man, not knowing anything about me, he said right off, he said, he said, now, we're not just trying to get you to come to our church. We just want to tell you about Christ. And it kind of struck me funny. I didn't like have a pre-thought out thing to respond to that. But I actually challenged him back, not even telling him yet I was a pastor. I said, you should be proud of your church and you should want them to come to your church because Jesus has designed the church to, to raise them up. If you just tell them about the gospel message and then just pass and let them go, yes, God could lead them to a place, but they need a body of believers to help them grow and to be discipled. 
So don't, don't start off with, I'm not just trying to get you to come to my church. Because that tells me that you're, you're worried about them coming to your, that they'll feel pressure to come to your church, and that's what it's about. You want them. Say, come meet the folks at my church. They are, we're, we're nobody here is perfect. We're just beggars trying to tell other beggars where to find bread. We're just people who love Jesus and trying to figure it out. And you'll be welcome and you'll feel right at home because you have questions about God and we will always still have questions about God. And until we reach heaven, we may not get them all answered, but we're on that journey to find out. And of course, it put him in an awkward position where he had to explain himself. I said, no, no, you don't have to back up. You know, oh, no, no, that's not what I meant. No, I said, no, it's okay. I think the Holy Spirit just gave that to you for me or through me to you, but it was from the Holy Spirit. And said, God bless you, and let me, I'll be praying for your church. See, we, we need to be bold when the Holy Spirit gives us something to say. That very moment, even though those are believers, and I, I could tell that they were out there wanting to serve Jesus, I still had to be obedient to the Holy Spirit because they're out there doing the work of the Lord, and, and the Holy Spirit gave me something to give to them to send them on their way. So there's moments like that where it's just a boldness stepping out, not being fearful, Again, I love what Brian, uh, brother uh, Jared and I both had said, found out we have a common saying that you just have to put yourself in the spot where if God doesn't show up, you're going to look like an idiot or you're going to look foolish. So we see and examine, there's there's really three barriers that stand out to outreach um, that we want to look at. But the, the first barrier is fear, which someone already put. That's good because that was one of the barriers that I have. It's been said that Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman, an evangelist of another generation, once stated that the New Testament record tells of 40 people, each suffering from the same disease, who were healed by Jesus, and of this number, 34 either were brought to Jesus by friends or he was taken to them. Listen to this. And out of that original number, out of that original 40 people, in only six cases out of the 40 did the sufferers find their way to Jesus without assistance. That means the majority of the time when people have needs where they need Jesus in their life, it's going to come from either Jesus being taken to them or them being taken to Jesus. You see, it, it's a matter of God works through us to reach the needs of other people. The main need being to have him as their Lord and Savior. The author of this story went on to say, of the vast number of people who find their way to Jesus today, most of them reach him because the, friend, the friends of Jesus are concerned about the welfare of their souls. Now here's where the rubber meets the road. If you and yourself have not settled in your heart that there is a real heaven and a real hell, and everyone ends up in one of two places, and you've not really dealt with the reality of that and the weight of that, then you're not going to have the right kind of concern for those souls to want to take them to Jesus because there's not a big pressing need. I don't know when it happened, but sometime along after I became a pastor here, uh, after I'd been in the church for a while and then became pastor, I got to where I have a wife and children I love. I would never want them to be without a, a husband and without a father. But at the same time, if I truly believe in, in that God has everything, that he, worked out that he has the keys to death hell and the grave that i can't go until he says okay and that if he decides to take me then my family it's the best thing for everybody involved and he will take care of them then then i resolve my spirit god whenever you want me to go i'm ready that's not lip service to you i really feel it in my spirit there's times and no it's not just because of weariness 
or because, you know, depressed about something or just don't like life or I don't love my, love my family or want to be with them. It's, it's just I, I finally came to the point where when I really grasped the weight of an attorney with God or an attorney separated from him and knowing that right now I feel so close to him in so many ways that I'm like, Lord, don't let me, don't let me flub this up. If you're going to take me, take me while, I, while it's going good, right? <laughs> you know, take me while things are going good. In fact, I've asked him, Lord, I'd really like to have preached my best sermon ever. Go home to take a nap and not wake up. That's how, if, if, if I'm going to go before you come back, let it be like that, you know? So I can go out uh, on my best sermon ever. Let's look at a story like this from the scripture recorded in Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And ending verse 12. And I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. Um, but Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And for those who, want to, who are turning there, I'm going to give a few moments for you to get there. Mark chapter 2, starting at the very first of the chapter and going on through verse 12. If you don't have it yet, say hold on. All right, and when, and when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came bringing him to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof from above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, this is awesome, because God has given us this ability too. This is uh, you know, the gift of discernment. This is very much a Christ-like gift that he gives us. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they were thus, that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Now they didn't say a word out loud, right? Jesus didn't hear them. He's not responding to verbal communication. He's catching these guys off guard because he's like, Basically, I know what you just thought. Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or say, Rise. Take up your bed and walk. Jesus threw down a challenge to him. Because you see, in this time, before Jesus goes to the cross, it's the old covenant, remember? Animal sacrifices to be made right with God. There's a process. There's a priest. There's authority in the church that they have to go through. And literally, some of the problems with the Pharisees, uh, they were getting very proud in their their abilities. We also know that there's another sect, the Sadducees. And so when that power came to where they're literally in charge of people's sins being forgiven, he's challenging them saying, well, which is easier then? Tell them your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. Basically saying, you know, you may think you have the power to forgive sins or you have that authority and I don't. But let's see you get, let's see you tell them to get up and walk then. And so this shuts them up to, to an extent. And he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. 
And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them so that they were all amazed and glorified God and saying, we never saw anything like this. Never saw anything like it. That amazement was like, I've never seen that a day in my life. Down in South Arkansas, about this time of year, when we go to next Monday and Tuesday, we'll go to a minister's meeting in Benton, Arkansas. And when Jen and I and the kids go that far south, excluding this year because of the building project, we usually take a couple days and go down to Diamond Mines, Murfreesboro. There's not a lot in Murfreesboro other than the Diamond Mines. But we had heard there's crystal mines, and we weren't having any uh, fortune at the Diamond Mines, so going out of town, we thought, we'll stop in and ask where those crystal mines were. We go in the little grocery store, the only grocery store, I think, in town, and we go in and we ask the cashier, and she goes, crystal mines, I don't, I don't know where that's at. Well, I haven't lived here long. I know a boy, he grew up here. He's been here since he was born. I'll ask him. Comes up. This boy looked a little bit like Opie Taylor off of Andy Griffith. Says, what are you looking for? It's a crystal mines. Crystal mines? Never heard of that a day in my life. Not a day in my life. And he just goes walking off. Not a day in my life. Never heard of that a day in my life. So, so we leave there. We drive five miles. Big billboard says crystal mines two miles this way. I, I told Jim, I said, that poor boy's never been more than four miles from his work in his whole life, not a day in his life. Has he ever been past that point in town? That is a true story. That is a true story. No, unfortunately, I got a lot more laughs when it's true than when it's a joke. Um, but anyway, they're not anything like this. They're totally amazed. So keeping in mind that Dr. Chapman's statement, um, you look at these paralytic man's friends now if i understand the story right and somebody correct me if I'm wrong i think this was peter's house um peter the outspoken one that we we talk about he's the guy that remember in class i'm gonna keep drilling this in because i've had some lessons coming up that you need to think of peter this way you know you took a mental holiday in class when the teacher was given the instructions about the final exam and then all of a sudden you wake up towards the end and realize i miss it all you're too embarrassed to raise your hand you don't you don't want people judging you. You don't want to have lack of knowledge. You don't want to be, you know, uh, self-image. You're fearful, right? But then there's one guy that just don't care. He raises himself. I'm sorry. I didn't hear anything you said. Can you repeat it? You're like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that somebody did that. And, and so Peter's that guy, right? He speaks up all the time. And, and can you imagine? It doesn't say anything about what Peter's saying, but they're tearing a hole through his roof to lower this guy down. And Peter's probably down there. And we were just at a men's conference, and it's, it's cool because I had thought of preaching with this uh, topic before that. And, and the speaker, he said, they're probably sitting there going, Peter's going, what? What are you doing in my roof? You know? I mean, come on. Wait your turn. You know? Tearing a hole in my roof. You know, so there's a lot of, a lot of things that are very unspiritual going on here. Uh, there's frustration with the religious people there. And Peter's getting a hole torn through his roof. And people are like, I've never seen anything like this because this guy who couldn't get there himself, four friends had to lower him down. And Jesus tells him his sins are forgiven, most important, because that's the eternal. And second tells him to rise up and walk. I'm going to tell you in my short time pastoring, and my dad could probably tell you, my dad could tell you a whole bunch more than this on this topic, but one of the most difficult things is praying for somebody with a terminal illness where you know in your spirit that you can't tell them they're going to be healed. You can pray and believe for it, but you know that healing comes in two ways from the Lord, either here through a miracle or in their glorified body when they reach heaven. If they're a believer, they're going to be healed one way or another. But you know, us as a family, especially unbelievers who are friends of the believing person we don't want to hear that about our god right we don't want a god that that will answer the prayer but he doesn't necessarily do it in the way we want 
And here's a guy who he couldn't get there on his own. He gets healed. He rises up. But Jesus first spoke to the eternal. And this, when it comes to outreach, has to be our main focus. You're, you're going to meet people who, who maybe are paralytic. You're going to meet people who are missing limbs or, or who their family has left them, deserted them. They're out of money. They can't eat. They've, they've got all these physical needs. And yes, you should try to meet what you can you know, through compassion. But in the end of the story, the biggest concern is where are they going to spend eternity? Weeping and gnashing of teeth, eternal torment. You know, some, some uh, beliefs they teach wrong that, that really if you go to hell, you're just going to get extinguished at some point and you're not going to exist anymore. That's not true. The Bible teaches it's eternal torment. It's eternal separation from God. You're literally going out with a rescue line to try to keep someone from spending an eternity in torment. And so we have to get a realistic view of what we're, and, and, and the weight of what we're dealing with when we reach out to people outside of the box. As we go through this passage, we notice in verse 3 that there were four of, of them and they, they didn't come alone. They also brought a friend who could not walk, so they didn't come for themselves. They came for a friend. They didn't come alone and they didn't come for themselves. Their motivation was not their selfish motives. I'm going to get a few notches in my belt of people who accept the Lord or, or that were healed. I'm not coming for myself. In fact, I'm sure he wasn't light. And I'm sure getting him up on the roof and lowering him down. I, I'm sure some of them had to be prayed for back problems after that. You never know. But the, the point is, is that when we get our motives right and when we're doing it for the right reasons, Jesus answers. Outreach is about others. It's not about us. We have been brought to God by the, by the influence and prayers of others. But it does not stop there. We, we are to carry on in like manner to help others come to God. And we cannot, uh, fear, uh, we cannot let fear stop us. Jesus did not call the disciples to follow him and forget about others. It wasn't about the twelve and no others. It's not about us four and no more. In his final moments before his return to heaven, he gave them very clear instructions that they were to go and make disciples. Can you imagine the crescendo, if I can use that word, to that moment when Jesus appears to them again before he ascends back and they have the axe encounter where, where the Holy Spirit comes, the comfort comes. But, but Jesus, who had been telling them all along that his kingdom is not of this world, he's been trying to tell them what's going on, and they see him brutally crucified, but then the, the body's missing from the tomb three days later. He's appearing to them, and he's ascending, and now it catches on. They get the Holy Spirit. They go out even to their deaths for the uh, cause of Christ. But can you imagine that moment? He's, he's going back, and he tells them, what is your main responsibility? It's to go and make disciples. You who have been rescued. You who I came and rescued from eternity separated from God. It's your responsibility. It should be your passion. It should be everything that you're about to go and do the same for others. There's also an implied observation in verses 1, two, one and 2 that create the conditions for uh, the actions of verse 3. Here it is. Jesus is doing something for people. People who have been seriously ill or without hope have been healed or experienced hope as they have encountered Jesus. And he is in, our, uh, he is in, in this church. He's in this area. He's living in your hearts. And when we go outside of the box, 
Saturday when we go out in the communities, he goes with us. Not in name only, but literally the Spirit of the Lord will go before us. What drove these four men to dig through that clay roof, as described in verse 4, was they were possessed with a drive. I hate to use that word, but really, it was just an overcoming. Like they could not do anything but get their friend to Jesus. They could have given up at any point when they saw the crowds. You know, when they saw, um, they saw how difficult it was going to be, but they didn't. Where these four friends filled with fear and, and hesitant, where they, they were not filled with fear, they weren't hesitant to reach out to Jesus on behalf of their friend. And then we, we go on in verse 5, note that Jesus was moved by four men's faith and then made a statement that shocked the religious leaders. My son, your sins are forgiven. And some of them say it's blasphemy. According to Merriam-Webster's dictionary, blasphemy is the act of expressing lack of reverence for God and, and irreverence toward something considered sacred. I'm going to take a moment to address something that, that often pops up we have, we have fear, but sometimes it becomes fear of doing things different. Maybe those of you that grew up in a church that became very traditional. You know, um, I'll go through the, you know, don't wear shorts in church, right? Now, modesty has always been part of God's, te- about Jesus' teaching that we should be modest. But, but we developed religions around those type of things. We, we developed um, stances that we would reject somebody. There's churches that would turn somebody away because they come in shorts to the church. You can go down the list. I mean, uh, piercings, all the externals, all those things that we, we see. And to us, as those who grew up in, in religion, see that and there's a rejection in our heart immediately that we have to overcome. Now, come on, don't deny it. Even some of you that think you're trendy. You see somebody with, with purple hair and chains going from the nose to the ears and all this stuff going on, and you immediately think, oh, man, that person has got to be the furthest from God I've ever seen, right? I heard a story of a man in the motorcycle uh, that was in the motorcycle ministry club with me. Uh, he told about having a horrible accident where he had uh, multiple broken bones. He couldn't walk. He was a, wa- a walker, and uh, they w- uh, he wanted so bad to go to this uh, um, <clears throat> ministry event. And so he talked his wife into driving him there, and he went, and he said he went down to the front, and they were telling him he needed to stay put, but he literally he shouldn't have even been out of the hospital. He checked himself out. And he said he was up there praying and, and asking God for healing. And he said three teenagers that had spiked colored hair and the piercings and all this stuff came up down the altar, being laying hands on him and praying in the spirit. And literally he was able to leave that walker down. And no joke, there, there was five or six witnesses I heard from the, straight from them. They heard him turn around and say, they said, where are you going? He said, I'm hungry. And he walked out of there to get something to eat. And no one would have suspected those teenagers to be, to have the power of God residing in them. There's other kinds of fear that can, can block individuals and churches from reaching out. Fear of rejection, fear of people's anger, fear of being laughed at, fear of doing it wrong. 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us the spirit of fear and timidity, but power, love, and self-discipline. But that barrier of fear and the barrier of traditionalism, and there's others we could go through for the sake of time, I'm not going to go through all of them, but mis- misunderstanding of evangelism, 
You know, often I find that in my walk with the Lord, there's times when I thought, if I just go, we had something called the Romans Road where you took through Romans and you could tell somebody the pathway to salvation for that. And that's great because you need to know God's Word and the path to salvation through His Word. But listen, when people encountered Jesus, they encountered the living Word. And we are looking at generations now, we're just quoting them a Bible verse without any power behind it is not going to do one thing for them. Oh, pastor, are you saying the Word of God doesn't have power on its own? No, it does. It does. But I also know the delivery and who's delivering makes a difference because think about the seven sons of Sceva who wanted to just be able to cast out demons to make a little cash on the side, right? What happened to them? They got their tail whipped by the demons, right? By the demonic people. They got their tails whipped because you can't just know God's Word. You can't just speak God's Word without the Spirit of God living in you and expect any supernatural results and so we've got to understand that that we have to to understand evangelism doesn't come from steps one two three and people will just come to know the lord you've got to get on your knees and you've got to pray and ask that the holy spirit would fill you with power and go out just like in the book of acts to go out with the power of the holy spirit that's nothing to be fearful of it's nothing to think what if i pray and i don't get that well how are you going to know until you start praying Sometimes we won't even start because we're afraid of what might not happen. To understand this barrier of misunderstanding evangelism, we can see in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5-9, through 9, it says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. What's it, what is it saying there? It's saying the same thing to them that's saying to you now. I understand that some of these stories, these accounts, are from people 2,000 years ago. I understand it's a different culture, but they're living, breathing people who got up in the morning, maybe had a little heartburn, maybe didn't feel so good that day. Maybe they had some job troubles, or maybe they had financial troubles, or they had problems in their marriage or whatever, and, and they, they spent time praying, God, help me. And their focus was, I need to bring healing to my family and to those in my church and outside my church. They had the same struggles you do, just different culture, maybe a little different setting, but they're living, breathing people. Don't, don't let the 2,000 years separation fool you. Many of us, if we sit down with our grandparents before they pass on and, and let them pour into us about their struggles growing up through our age, we'll find out they're just like us. So many ways. You know, sometimes there's difference in generations. Maybe they're a little harder workers. Maybe they weren't so touchy-feely about, I, I have to have purpose and everything to do. Maybe they were just, we just need to make it through the Great Depression and feed our families. There may be those differences, but they had struggles like we did. And, and so we have to be careful that we don't think through evangelism like, like, like I can't be a Paul. You know, I, I can't be a Peter or, or I can't be a John. And, and, and this scripture is telling us, what is then Apollos? What is then Paul? Servants through whom you believed as a Lord assigned to, assigned to each. I planted Apollos. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. You guys think I'm joking when I say that I'm so glad that I'm such a mess? Because people have prophesied over this church so many times. In fact, it just happened this last week. Someone who comes in the building and says, this place is going to explode. God, God is going to do amazing things. I feel the presence of God in here. 
And I always tell them, I say, well, thank goodness I'm such a mess. Nobody will attribute to me. I won't have to worry about getting the big head. Anybody that knows me says, well, I know Pastor CJ, and there has to be another reason that church is growing. And, and people laugh, but the truth is that's a comfort to me. Because there are some super talented guys that have grown churches, and they get asked, like, like Oren knows, Pastor John Lindell got asked all the time, how do you grow a church to 10,000 people? And his face, about the few times I would see it get flushed is when he's asked that question. He'll tell him, said, there's no secret. When this church was 50 people, it was so amazing that I almost didn't take the role because I'm afraid I messed it up. You see, God grows the church. You go out with evangelism all fearful, thinking it all rides on you whether these people accept the gospel message or not. You make yourself available. You plant. Someone waters. And God brings in the harvest. And it's his church. It's not our church. And, you know, that's where the denom denominational uh, barriers really break down. Because if they're over there listening to the voice of God at the Baptist church, and they may have a few differences with us in, in opinion on Scripture, but, but if they're praying and seeking God and His Spirit speaking to them, then, then us together are going out and planting and watering, and God brings the harvest. It isn't about, well, their programs are better. You know what? If that's the case, eventually it'll fall. Well, you know, you got to look at their staff. I mean, come on, look at, look at how effective those people are. Well, yeah, well, you know, God will give me an increase in responsibility when I can handle it. If I was at the point that a pastor like at Cross Church with it, maybe that would happen here. But, but we're all at different spots in our journey, and God is growing us in different ways. But we've got to keep in mind, it's Him who grows the church. You ever get that wrong, you're going backwards. Doesn't matter if your numbers get bigger, you're going backwards. So please notice what Paul is saying in verse 5. Who is Apollos and I? We're only servants. We're just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. So evangelism is about servants of God sharing the good news of God. It's not about the servants. Verse 5, Paul, Paul also says, God caused you to believe. For each of us did the work that God gave us. That just means all of us were available to do what he gave us. He handed out the orders. We heard his voice. We went out. Evangelism is the work of God through servants of God. And that's us who do their part. Verse 6, my job was to plant the seed, and Apollos' job was to water it. But it was God, not we, whom, who makes the seeds grow, says Paul. Evangelism is a process. Some people uh, come quickly to Christ. Others take longer. It's been way too long that we haven't had our horse trough up here for baptisms. But don't sweat it. We got one coming soon. You know, it, it's been a long time. And we could think, really, I just love baptisms. I just really love to see people up here. And so I just can't wait till we have one. No, I know that people are following Scripture and they're coming to, to, to know Christ through our ministry. Then we're going to have baptisms because they have to also make a public declaration of their faith before Christ. Verse 7, God is the one who is important because he is the one who makes the seed to grow. Outreach is reaching out to people for God, and it's God's primary responsibility. All right, so now all of us are called to be witnesses of the hope that's within us. That means your story, what God did in you, it's meant to be told. M uh, Melody and Tim, Melanie and Tim, Melody and Tim, Sister Holda sometimes says Melanie, and it cracks me up because I've known them longer than any of us know them. But anyway, as, as, as we had a powerful time on Sunday, their testimonies on uh, as we heard those on the video, 
you know, it immediately brought tears to my eyes. And I even sat and heard their story before. Why? Why did it do that? Because the story of changed lives never gets old. The, the stories of lives changed with, by the power of God will never get old. I'll never get tired of hearing their story. I'll never get tired of hearing Brad's story or, or my dad's story or, or Nathan or, or any of you because the power of changed lives, it grows us, it, it changes us. It's meant to be told. And through that, God uses it to, to bring others into right relationship with him. All of us called to be witnesses of the hope that's within us. 1 Peter 3.15 And if you are asked about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. And this witness is part of the process of evangelism. So, so to sum it up, evangelism is a process that includes all of us. All of us who have been redeemed. doesn't matter whether you're, you're doing it through Facebook or through face-to-face. I'll tell you that if you hide out behind a screen and think that that's your full course of evangelism, you're going to find that God's going to put you in moments where you wish you'd been more free to speak face-to-face because He will put you, as you begin to make yourself available, He'll put you face-to-face. The story of the three guys that I picked up on 279 at different points that all came to know the Lord and He kept putting people in the exact same spot with the exact same story and, and I just kept stop and pick them up but the first time remember i fought it for five miles until i realized god was arguing with me and by the time the next guy i'm like i'm telling him the story of the first guy which grabs a hold of his heart and he accepts the lord by the time i get to the third third guy i didn't even let him talk i said i know you just got out of jail i know you got addiction get in i'll explain and his response is are you a cop no i'm a preacher get in i'll tell you about it So, you see, I'm telling you, I don't tell stories by myself to brag on, but I need to hear your stories because all I've got is mine right now, right? And I keep challenging you not to put you down or make you feel condemned, but where's our fruit? Where are the people becoming, uh, that are changing their lives, following Christ because of your story? If you're not telling your story all the time, then they're not going to hear that gospel message because the, the power of God's word combined with what it did to change your life is evangelism. We make it so complicated, simply. You know, I don't know enough scripture, Pastor CJ. Well, you know, the guy that was healed, he comes into town in, in scripture that was healed of, of being lame. What all happened? Oh, I don't know. All I know is I couldn't walk. Now I can. And that Jesus dude's the one that did it, right? All I know is I was addicted to some substance before I, I come to know Christ. And I'm not any longer. All I know is every time I'm tempted to do X, I get on my knees and say, Lord, help me to, to, to overcome this temptation. And the help comes, and I've avoided it. All I know is this was tearing up my life before I met Jesus, and now I can go to my Heavenly Father. I can go to Jesus, who sticks closer than a brother, and I can ask Him for His help, and He answers. The power and authority of God's love overcomes the barriers of fear. As it says in John, 1 John 4, 17-19, And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid of the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence. Let that soak in. Come on, that's what I'm telling you about where God got me comfortable about going to heaven. I'm not eternally insecure anymore, and I don't believe in eternal security because it doesn't really matter as long as your heart is in the right place and you're chasing after God. You're confident I'm spending eternity with him. 
If you live in fear of, of, of not spending eternity with him, then you haven't got this result. If you're living on a, a get-out-of-jail-free car because you think that you've got some kind of uh, special uh, contract, it's not that. It's just that because of the relationship, because of what he did for me, I'm confident that I'm going to step into glory, and I'm not worried about it anymore. I'm not worried about where I'm spending an attorney. I know that. My main focus right now is make sure I take as many as I can with me. As many as I can with me. My brother and I just went to meet with a guy that he worked with for years before Walmart, and he suffered with cancer, and he's just two years in remission. And, and uh, you know, he's still in a very bad state with, with um, quite a few issues to be taken care of. And, and, you know, we just, we went there because we are going to talk about something with a building project because he, he, he works for a supply house uh, of something that we need. And I told my brother, I was like, let's forget about the building project because we need to know where he stands with the Lord. I said, Listen, God will take care of the building project. We need to know. You know, often we, we want to make the priority about our business or, or taking care of our livelihood and hope that through that, God will open the doors. You know what you need to do? You need to worry about God opening the doors to minister to their hearts. And, and I can't say that it was my idea. My brother said, that I need to know, I need to talk to him. I need to talk to him about his relationship with the Lord. And as we begin to say, well, we can bring up about the building project. I just kept filling the Holy Spirit saying, you know what? That will be taken care of. That will be taken care of. But what are we doing here? We're not building a building just to house us, right? We're building a building to open up more room to win the lost. And I'm thankful for Jim's heart for him because he's held on to contact with this gentleman for, for now several decades, I think, isn't it? Pretty, pretty much. 30 years. Who, who do we think about for 30 years about their relationship with the Lord and never give up until we see them come to know him? See, that's the Holy Spirit thing. Because how easy is it to forget people who aren't really a part of your life immediately? Think about it. How many people have you even had a close friendship with, but given enough time and space apart, you kind of, just every once in a while, you think about them, but it's not really pressing. It's not burning your heart. You know, not, not to embarrass Jim, but the fact, that, the fact that God kept putting in his heart and burning him, that's the Holy Spirit. And that's what I'm talking about. When we have this, well, Brian Jarrett calls a, a holy discontentment. What's that thing keeping you up at night? The mission God's giving you for evangelism is that thing that when you go to lay your head down at night, you can't sleep well until something's done about it. The sister Holda talked about when they were in India over 60 years ago and they went out to the trash dumps and they saw that kids were diving in for food or whatever they could find. They said, oh no, we have to do something about this. Where is, where is our holy discontentment for our city, for those who live around us? Do you know right now as we speak there are people who are not in church where someone is getting beat? A child is fearful for their life or being abused. Or someone's taking a bottle and trying to finish themselves off. Somebody could literally be thinking of taking their life right now. We're on a rescue mission for Centerton. God has placed us strategically in this place. You might think you just got a job here and you moved here. God brought you here to evangelize. John, is, John was speaking to those who are already believers. But we are also very clearly commanded by Jesus to love our neighbor as ourselves. And, and I would suggest that an additional meaning uh, of ourselves in the passage we just read, uh, the great commandment, this passage is plural, meaning us, the church. Why? Because outreach is about loving those who are still out there. Effective outreach comes as we learn with God's help to love. 
You know, I think about my short time in the military and engaging with, with people who are highly, uh, highly dedicated to what they do and, and have rules like no one's left behind no matter what. It doesn't matter if it's a dead body and you have to go in under gunfire to retrieve that body. No one's left. Even if it means your life. And if we truly have that kind of ethos as Christians, that there are people who are dead and dying out there. But it doesn't matter what condition they're in, we're going after them. So Saturday, when we come here at noon, this is not a big uh, sermon just to pressure you to be here Saturday. I'm telling you, when you have the opportunity to be facilitated in evangelism, in other words, somebody's going to give you some pointers or you have an evangelist to help you understand how to approach people, when you're going to go out, you know, you're going to have that fear of, well, what's going to happen when I go knock on that door? What's going to happen if I get rejected? You're not being rejected. Christ is. You're an ambassador going out to bring, bring them the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and if they reject him, that's between them and the Lord, but your job is to go out and bring the message. What if they think we're Jehovah's Witnesses? Well, hey, you know, you'll have, to, you'll have to let them know who you are and what you believe. So this is an opportunity. Saturday, it's giving up, it is giving up resources, giving up precious time when you've, when you've worked all week and you haven't got enough time with your family and you're exhausted and you're tired. But let me ask you, if you're running yourself that tired, and you don't take this opportunity, when are you going to? Mark 7, verses 1 through 23, in this passage, Jesus challenges and calls into question the traditionalism of the Pharisees who were concerned about the lack of adherence by Jesus' disciples to their practices. In verse 5, they asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples follow your age-old customs? For they eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. And Jesus responds back with a, a discourse that what is truly important to God, not the customs, not the traditions of faith, but the condition of the human heart. He says obedience to God and the transformation that comes from such obedience is more important than the traditionalism they advocate because God is more concerned about the condition of the human soul than he is about traditions. We're going to have to end without me going through the, the rest of them, but I feel like this is a good part for us to conclude. There's little signs I see as I'm pastoring where, where we're at, kind of taking the litmus test of where we're at with evangelism. And, and, and I can tell that if, if someone comes in the door that it's their guest, and, and, and don't, don't think I'm stepping on anybody's toes here, but if your first priority is I want you to meet the pastor, if I take on the pastor, they're going to want to stay here. Then you got the priorities messed up because God put them in your custody. He, he put them on your heart, and they came because you invited them, and he wants you to walk that journey with them. Too many times we think if we just get them to the door, we'll drop them off, and the church as an organization, as a business or whatever, we, we've got this mixed-up idea that somehow the church is just going to manufacture believers, right? If we just get them to the church, boy, I love the worship, and I love the word. If I just get them here, then they're just going to become a Christian. You know what will happen is if you do that, you'll just produce a religious person. But if you want to produce a disciple, you get with them. You pray with them. You give up time. You get over your fear of lack of knowledge. You stop worrying about the judgment. You get over the selfishness. You forget about whether you look good doing it or not. And you make disciples. You get around the dinner table with them. You sacrifice. When, when the bills are a little bit high and you don't have uh, barely enough groceries, you say, you know what, we're going to have this 
this couple over and we're going we're gonna to look at God's word together. And we're going to believe the Holy Spirit's going to illuminate it like it says it will and, and that we'll learn from it. We're going to let the Lord keep us up at night because we've had something in our past that we know can minister to others. And, and, and Pastor CJ, we don't have, we don't have Celebrate Recovery and, and I want to be able to minister to those folks. I'm willing to, to walk some steps and, and be the one to step up and, and, and teach those. Uh, Pastor CJ, I don't know, I, I have this deep disgust about certain sins and I need God to help me get over that and maybe I need to be the one he's helped me get over that I need to be the one to lead that ministry to to people who have those type of issues who who are who are dying inside and so Saturday when we come at noon I want you to already be praying because the enemy is going to come against you and Saturday morning he's going to be like you know maybe you should just skip this one maybe this isn't really for you. This, you know, I have a different type of ministry. And we're going to start thinking, that, oh, I've got a different approach. And, and we're going to get into this another five years of no fruit from our relationship with God. We're not going to see any disciples because we're going to let the enemy keep telling us this is not our style, this is not our way. You know, um, I, I, I don't go door to door. I don't, I don't do this. I don't go down to downtown and, and hand out tracts. I don't go down there and, and street evangelize. God's going to have to shake us up if we're going to see fruit from our ministry. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that you have led us and guided us through this service tonight, Lord, that your spirit was here from the very start with the worship, and that, God, you have brought us together. Each person here strategically brought, Lord, for a purpose tonight, to leave here changed. God, there may be some that should have been here that weren't, and, and they let the enemy convince them that other things were more important. And, and it's not about church attendance, Lord. It's about us getting the gameplay from your, from your word that we may go out and, and the real ministry that happens outside these walls begins. Our mission field outside that door. That, Lord, you're getting ready to entrust us with a, a larger facility to, to be able to facilitate more ministry within those walls. But, God, I'm afraid that, that if we don't, uh, if we're not careful, We'll just have a bigger box to contain ourselves, but we won't be reaching outside of that box. And I pray right now as the Holy Spirit begins to speak to each heart that what it's saying to you, what the Holy Spirit is saying to you, that you'll grab a hold of. You won't let fear get in the way. That whatever He's asking you to do, that right now those things that, that have troubled you and you've been pushing them off, those, those things, uh, the evangelism, that those people who don't know him or those people in your lives, those family members, those you've been timid around, you've been shy about sharing your testimony or what God's speaking to your heart, that you'll start speaking with authority. Because, because the word of God says that he's given us authority to speak over others' lives and, and that you'll begin to stand up and, and, and live out your, your faith. Lord, help them understand the authority that you've given them the transformation in their lives what authority you've given them the great things that can be done through willing vessels jesus right now i pray lord that you'd help us as we go tonight that god not one of us would leave here the same but lord we'd let this message and this time tonight and worship together change us in jesus name amen